Howdy folks, welcome back to the new Sprint Commando. I'm your host, Ed Moore. This is looking to be probably the final, uh, shall we call it, chapter of the show for this year. I'm going to be looking at the first five issues of The Adventurers, Volume 1, as they came out from Adventure Comics starting in 1986, it says here. So if you want to get in touch with me on Twitter, you can tweet me at Teal Productions, that's T-E-A-L, or News P Commando, the official Twitter for the show. Teal Productions has a Facebook page. Um, I post the episodes there. I am IndieMan at gmail.com. Indie is I-N-D-I-E. That's the email address for the show. Comicbooknoise.com slash T-N-C, Tango November Charlie, is the website. And just another fanboy.freeforums.net is a forum for the show as well. Now, this is written for us by Scott Bunk or Bunky, artist Peter Sue, and letterer Ron Kasman. I apologize if I messed up any of those. Uh, if anyone out there is wiser than I am, please let me know and I'll, I'll make that correction next time. Now, one of the things that appealed to me, well, a couple of things uh, that appealed to me about The Adventurers is it's in black and white. Uh, at least this initial, in, excuse me, at least this initial volume is. Um, I believe all three volumes are, but I don't remember. This first volume goes for like mm, somewhere between 25 and 30 issues. So it's a, it's a pretty long one. Um, the other thing that appealed to me is that I remember seeing ads for this book uh, at the time, and it was set up as being the X-Men of fantasy. Well, I am an unabashed X-Men stan, so um, if there is a reference to the X-Men, it'll at least get me to look it over to see if it's true or not. And after reading this first issue, I don't know if it's true yet, uh, to be honest with you. So Now, there are eight characters in the party. Basically, this is very much like a pretty standard fantasy setup, uh, much like your role-playing games, which is where uh, this version of fantasy really comes from. Maybe most versions of fantasy literature. I know even all the way back uh, with like uh, Fafford and a Grey Mouser, uh, there's only two, but essentially they were the party and they went on adventures. So long-standing format. Um, bear with me. I'll read the short little bios of each of the characters here to kind of uh, get, get you in the mood, as it were. If you're sitting there in your favorite chair with the fire going and a snifter. I'm kidding. You, you can consume the podcast however you want. I don't mind. Argent. Although youngest and least experienced, Argent's intelligence and sorceress powers made him a vital asset. Bladehelm. From the fabled Iron Reach Mountains, Bladehelm was everything one would expect from a dwarvish warrior, greedy, ill-tempered, and ferocious in combat. Koran, the dark-hooded priest of Acurus the Destroyer. Koran's power placed him in a position of leadership. He waited for the darkness, for his name will be written in blood. And he is, uh, at present, the leader of our intrepid band. We have Dekab. An ascetic warrior from the far west, Dekab followed a strict code of honor that would not be violated. Shadowlock, L-O-K, Shadowlock, one of the deadliest archers in the known lands. Shadowlock's quick thinking and innate survival instincts always kept him one step ahead of his enemies. 
Sultar, perhaps the most powerful member of the group. Sultar, a mage of fire, was not one to take risks. Uh, he is probably the coward so far of the group, the most uh, fearful in virtually any any situation, it seems. Nightwind, the only female of the party, she belonged to the Amitakun, a society that had trained her in the secret arts of ninja, and she is dressed all in black except for exposed eyes in a ninja outfit, whatever it's called. I'm not necessarily familiar with the official words. And finally, Tikian, a seasoned mercenary on his last quest. Or not Tikian, Tyrian. I'm sorry, T-I-R-I-A-N. Tyrian was courageous, resourceful, and loyal. And yeah, was is the optimal word here by the end of the issue. So so we have that uh, little... And at, at the beginning, there's... Um, Two paragraphs of many words. The, the whole first page of the book is text, uh, only with headshots. So there's a large setup of the story up to this point. Um, why they were hired, whom they were hired by, what they were hired to do is all given to us via text. We uh, join their journey when they have um, run into someone that they believe will be able to lead them to their ultimate goal, which is a treasure, quote-unquote, hidden in a dead, forgotten city. Okay, so basically they ran into a band of, uh, I forget what they were called. This makes for good podcasting, doesn't it? While I be silent here so I can cut this out. I don't know. We'll say orcs. Could be goblins, but I think they're orcs. And uh, one saved his life by telling them that he could lead them to the city of Tecumeth, T-E-C-U-M-E-T-H, Tecumeth. So he does. Um, and uh, let me say something about the art. Um, this is not black and white line work like, say, the black and white uh, Usagi Um Particularly, I guess, actually, they're contemporaries because uh, Usagi should have been coming out at this point as well. This is shades, and if it were in full color, it would be the equivalent of taking all the colors and converting them to shades of black and white. So it's it's almost like, um, you know, I don't know, like it's been colored with various degrees of maybe charcoal or, or something like that rather than just... Uh, just strict line work. I mean, maybe there's a black brushing to to give the blacks and and lighter and darker blacks, something like that. But it's not just black and white line work. There is there is full shading also. But we have um, the party being taken by their goblin ca captive into a city, and the city looks rather uh, dark and. Um, I don't know, almost you could say demonic. There are statues of different creatures. Uh, none of them are particularly friendly looking. So, funny thing, like I said, about the group. Um, they are led by, uh, what was his name? Koran. And Koran looks to be, visually, the most evil member of the group. Um, so, if you remember your... Uh, D&D &D classifications, he looks like he would most certainly be neutral evil, if not potentially chaotic evil. I mean, he just, he's tall. His face is continually in shadows because he has a cowl on. Uh, 
all you see are light for where his eyes are and light when he opens his mouth. Everything else about him. Now, there are uh, there's form you know, to his face, but it's all dark. Not like he is a uh, dark-skinned individual, but more like something has gone on that has turned his body dark, like night dark. Uh, not to be confused with our ninja, who is all in black clothing with just the eye open like you typically will see ninjas in black. Of course, I've also seen ninjas like that in what? Red and white, too, I believe. So so um, as we get to the city, Koran um, starts breaking the group up. You know, you check this way and you check that way, and, and everybody starts doing what they do. At one point, the uh, ninja girl, whose name is Nightwind, uh, says that she can get a better visual by climbing up to the top of this wall that they they saw from back a ways before they entered the city was a, a wall, and it had platform enough to stand on. So she figures she can stand, see past the wall, but even better, see all around them uh, much better because she's at elevation. And she climbs up and looks at the city, and she does see that the city is oriented uh, structurally. It, it's been made into a shape very similar to a face. There's two plazas where the eyes would be, and then she is on a wall facing a large plaza, oddly shaped for where a mouth would be on a skull, if you were looking down at a skull. Now, that gives them a clue as to where they need to be, because there is, of course, the... Um, the the poem or the the writings of someone that has died or someone like that that, that typically adventurers will find as their uh, map right in lieu of a map it it tells them the path at least to get to the the treasure that they're seeking so in in getting that perspective the hints that they have received from their text passages that they're carrying make sense now. They, they have a, a, a direct path that they know they must take. No sooner do they discover that and determine that that's what they're going to do than they're attacked by a very large hooded snake, a la a cobra, but not strictly shaped the same, but like giant. The head is bigger than any one individual in our party. So everybody fights it as they will, uh, swords and arrows, uh, the dwarf with his battle axe, the ninja with her katana, and seemingly the uh, snake doesn't want to die until finally it just does keel over as everyone has kind of stepped back to catch their breath after their initial hits. You know, everybody rolled and got one, one swing. Uh, the one swing of everybody combined was enough to take out the creature. So they they pass their first test and they continue on. We see uh, an example here of the cowardice of Sultar. Uh, he's asking how much farther, and he's he his face is very. He's wearing a cowl too, like a like a more typical cleric, but not with the armor, but with the. Uh, robes, the religious-oriented robes. Uh, and, and I apologize if, if my descriptions are not um, you know complete enough for everybody to get an idea of the book. I definitely would suggest to go grab it. Um, I got them the first five issues and the zero issue, which came out after issue five, uh, for two bucks a piece, Lone Star Comics. Uh, Lone Star Comics keeps my habit going 
thank you, Lone Star. Or, I'm sorry, uh, My Comic Shop. I know them as Lone Star Comics, but I believe My Comic Shop is what the what the website says now. Uh, but, yeah, if I'm, I'm trying to, you know, describe what I'm seeing, but it, it's it's a full a full panel of, of artwork in every panel. So it's, it's kind of hard to describe everything without uh, just, you know, droning on, oh, it had trees and clouds. You know, I don't want to do that. But it, it's I, I was expecting, I think, something more along the lines of, of line drawing, like, uh, like I say, Usagi. Uh, but this is just this is full fleshed out pictures more like almost like your um horror magazines used to be from warren creepy and eerie and vampirella you know full pictures just everything is in black and white and shades so that's that's what this is although it's not as dark the blacks aren't as um heavy as uh, the the blacks seem to have been in those old warren magazines so uh there are Proceeding on through the city, they get to, uh, again, <laughs> of course, a pit that they must descend into catacombs because the ultimate resting spot for the uh, treasure that they're looking for, which is going to turn out to be a magical key, which being magical, does that mean it's going to be a key as we know it or something magical that will act as a key uh, that the, the king that they're working for in a city, you know, back yonder where they started is, is searching for to, of course, I don't know, access treasure for himself or to give himself something that will allow him to continue to rule over his people. Or, you know, oddly enough, they trust the king for having this magical item, uh, despite knowing, you know, necessarily exactly what he's going to do with it. But they're progressing. And along the way, they are seen by another orc who goes to tell the master, uh, Delgar, that there is new fresh meat. So apparently the city isn't as abandoned uh, as it looked, nor as the adventurers had hoped. So they're, they're proceeding on into the catacombs when suddenly Koran indicates that he has a gem that was given to him by Terrus. T-A-R-R-U-S, Taurus, uh, the king who beseeched, uh, uh, set them off on, on this journey. And this gem is supposed to glow brighter the closer it gets to the magical key that they're looking for. So what is that? Is it, would that make that a MacGuffin or not a MacGuffin, but like a, the equivalent of a Mary Sue or something like that? You know, just out of nowhere, once they're in the catacombs, he pulls this gem out of his pocket. So... Okay, so now they're using it in the catacombs to guide them. Um, they get to a section uh, that looks much more machined or like it is uh, laced in machinery, o overhead vents and things like that, much more than like just a dugout hand-hewed cavern, which is what they initially found. So... Uh, to me, that means they're definitely getting into something that is more important than what the initial access point was. Uh, up above them is a large, long flight of circular stairs, and at the top watching them is an orc uh, holding a sword. You can see behind him that he has troops gathered in mass, so they're waiting for their opportunity. Finally, uh, in their traipsing around, the dwarf blade helm triggers a Mm, it's not a trap. Actually, he triggers a lock uh, because in the 
cavern through which they're walking as he steps on this stone on the ground, a large portcullis falls. I think, is that the name of the that kind of like door, or is that the whole opening? Eh, either way. Uh, it, it closes, and it is too heavy for even the two largest fighters that there are in this group to lift. So now they're kind of stuck. Uh, they're at a dead end, essentially. And that is when Delgar, who is a horned, uh, I don't know, dragon-faced, demonic-y looking thing, charges with his troop of orcish kind of dudes bearing rocks and picks and axes and uh, swords and uh, spears and things like that. So they attack our adventurers. The um, fire cleric, I guess, Sultar, leashes a fireball, saying that, ha, you thought I was the weakest of our group, but watch this! And he, uh, Ali Ali Oxenfreeze, uh, you know, throws, or whatever his magic words are, throws a uh, fireball at him. Uh, funny, funny aside. I I read quite a bit of uh, magically based things, both in prose and in in comics. And you know, there is something about me that never allows me to say, even in my head, magical words. When you see people uh, conjuring spells and things like that, because my rationalization is, you know, I have no idea what I am saying. So I could actually be saying something that has some sort of power behind it in, in uttering those words in that order. And I would have no idea what I'm doing. So I, I guess it's almost like a, you know, a superstitious kind of thing. But I never read those. You know, maybe I'll read the first word, but then when I realize what it is, I just gloss right over that panel and go on to the next and the next until they're speaking regular words. I, I don't, <laughs> even in my head, I don't read magical words. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't trust it. Um, okay. So as everybody's fighting here, the ninja Nightwind decides she's going to take a look at the, the trigger and see if she can do something with the trigger that will release the door and allow them at least to lift it so they can get out of here. Because again, they're stuck. They've got this big door that is immovable on one side, and they have all these orc goblin creatures attacking from the other side. So everybody is is holding their own. You know, we have lots of action-y panels here as the, the different adventurers are fighting in their way, until finally Nightwind takes the uh, knife that she has and jams it in between two of the rocks, in a seam between two of the rocks, holding, hopefully, the one rock up from being pressed down again and thinking that if the rock is held up, that could be the lock. And so if the rock is up, the gate is unlocked, they should be able to raise it. And indeed they do. Uh, now it takes like half of the party to get enough muscle to raise it, but fortunately they're able to do that while the rest of the party is fending off the, the goblin attack. Now it's working, it's working, it's working until finally Tyrion, who is the, the final man holding the force back, uh, succumbs to a large spear through the torso and falls. And in his final dying gesture, he, he rips the knife out of the stone because he is laying on the stone. And so it causes the door to fall back, locking, now blocking the orc goblin horde from accessing the adventurers who, uh, though mourning their fallen comrade, will theoretically be able to push on towards their their destination. That uh, then ends the story. We have a final full-page spread of the evil 
creature that is the leader of this orc goblin uh, army. And then on the inside back cover is a drawing of, I believe it's going to be of Argent, uh, looks like here, holding a sword. Drawn a little bit differently, so it's it's different from, I don't think that's Peter Sue, that or Hugh Sue, HSU, I apologize, however that's pronounced. Um, I don't I don't believe that's him drawing. Cool thing on the back of the uh, the back cover of the book is a series of almost um, paper mache-ish kind of overlays of clipped out parts of books that show all the other characters, I believe, that Adventure Comics is doing at this time. Um, I recognize um, Elf Lord or maybe Elfheim. Um, there's some other of... Uh, Barry Blair's creations, it looks like. Uh, maybe Team Nippon here in one point, and some other elves that definitely look like they're Barry Blade here. Also, there's a dude here in the middle that looks almost like just the lower, the nose and lower jaw of like almost the crow, but I don't think he's out yet, so I'm not sure who that is. But uh, the, the front cover, uh, which I didn't mention, is uh, in, in color, and it shows our eight members as they would be rendered in color. And this is by Peter Tsu. Tsu. So uh, we have uh, his artwork, but then the a, a coloring, which may be him as well, to show us what these characters would look like in full color. Uh, so that way, when you play with them in your D&D campaign, you would know what to envision. A uh, lot of different representations, none really of any skin color ethnicity, I'll say. Um, there is ethnicity in that they're different races um so they do have that but they all are of lighter skinned races I, I don't know that i can say caucasian but i do notice that they're all lighter skinned and so there is our first issue of the adventurers um not too bad i didn't think pretty pretty standard fare so far um, interesting that already one of the group is dead, so they're they're down to seven members, and he was one of their two uh, big fighters. So now you know they had two in stature large fighters, and then they had uh, Bladehelm, the dwarven fighter. Uh, they had in essence a ranger who was expert with the bow, couple magic users. I don't think they really had anybody identified well. The ninja Nightwind, she might identify as a thief. So. Uh, a lot of the standard uh, role-playing characters as well there. So that, that was kind of cool. Um, I'm in the middle right now of, of going back through and reading some um, Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance novels. Uh, part of a read-along with a couple podcasts that I'm following. And so it's, it's fun to get back into um, the fantasy, high fantasy kind of uh, media. That is is really, other than Isaac Asimov, uh, what I cut my really jump into it teeth into when I was in junior high and high school. Uh, Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance, Sword of Shannara, um, Lord Fowl's Bane, uh, Thomas Covenant Chronicles. Um, I think those were the main ones at the time. And then, like I said, Isaac Asimov, that was as per my dad. He was a big science fiction fan. So I, um, the, the first book to read that he ever bought me was the Foundation Trilogy. So I kind of cut my teeth on that, but quickly moved over. Oh, 
that was when I first read Lord of the Rings as well. Uh, I quickly moved over to fantasy, uh, Lord of the Rings first, and then a couple of my friends in high school were into that also, and they pointed me to those other titles that I uh, that I mentioned. So, um, at some point, quickly after high school, I got into superhero comic books, and so for years and years since then, thirty some years, um, that has been the bulk of my reading. Uh, in in any format or uh, a lot of my TV watching. So it's all superhero stuff. It's fun to get back into this fantasy, high fantasy kind of world and and put those trappings back on and recognize things and help recall other things. Um, Currently, as I record this, I'm really enjoying uh, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, the uh, TV series on Amazon. Very memeish, very tropey, very you know, but it's all fun and familiar and enjoyable to me. So I, I really like those those kind of concepts. So that's it for this twenty first episode. Uh, next month, next week, next bi weekly. I forget how I'm releasing these. I think I'm releasing them almost bi weekly. So either way, next episode, episode twenty two, as we wind down this first year of the um commando podcast will be the adventurers volume one issue number two so i will talk to you guys about that then ciao